Welcome back to the Cross Stands. I'm Father Bryce uh, here with Jennifer Ely as we speak of the mysteries of Christ's life. So we say in the Creed that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, and suffered under Pontius Pilate. But, but what happened in the 30-something years between those two? And that's, that's what we're talking about today. The, the Catechism says that the articles of faith concerning Jesus' incarnation and Passover, uh, concerning Christmas and the Annunciation and Easter, the cross and the resurrection, shed light on the whole of his earthly life. And so through the lens of Christmas and through the lens of Jesus' Passover, we look back into the the other 30 or so years and uh, see the mystery of Christ in in that. Yeah, and the really, pardon my voice here, but um, we get to see Christ in his sacramental nature very um expressed very acutely when we look at the years between his incarnation and his passion and death so the catech that's what the catechism kind of calls it his life his humanity is that sacrament that makes visible the invisible um salvific power of god love of god um that desire of god for bringing mankind back to back to himself well, what do you mean when you say that Jesus or that Jesus's life is a sacrament? Because we got seven sacraments and none of them are called Jesus. So, I mean, they're all Jesus, but you understand. Sure. What do you mean by that? So, um, we do have our seven sacraments, but we have things, um, people, the church, other things beyond those seven that are sacramental in nature. And when we say that things are sacramental in nature, when we go to, I mean, I'm skipping ahead a little bit, but Catechism reference 1131, sacraments are efficacious signs of grace. So they are things that effectively manifest, make real, make present, something that we can't see with our eyes. Um, because we are beings of senses. We have the sense of smell, sight, touch, taste, all of these. And God knows that. He created that. <laughs> and so he uses that to interact with us. Um, that's what the sacraments do. They, they make tangible for us um, by sight, by taste, by touch, by smell. Um, the love of God, the saving action of God in a particular way. And so we, we claim that for the seven sacraments, obviously, but we also talk about that when we're talking about Christ himself in his humanity. Um, because before the incarnation, we, you know, we had this fullness of the Trinity, but before the incarnation, it was simply the son. The son was, was within the Trinity and son, S-O-N. S-O-N, son yes. of the father, <laughs> son of the father in the Trinity. Um, and then the incarnation was what brought him into humanity, brought him into time, because obviously God is beyond time. But in order to save us, he allowed himself to, or he was brought, sent by the Father um, in order to enact the salvation that God the Father had ordained. Um, so he is sacramental in that he is physically, because he's a physical man now, fully man, fully God, that we interact with that that the people of um of judea of that time were able to touch um you know the hemorrhaging woman reaching out to touch the hem of his cloak her fingers like didn't pass through air she touched the hem of his cloak veronica wiped his face because he had all these physical attributes 
that allowed us to see God's love made manifest. And those two people were the same person, by the way. But Christ is the, so Christ is in the language of the church, the primordial sacrament because he is the image of the invisible God. Scripture tells us the firstborn of all creation. Jesus Christ himself says in the gospel according to John, he who has seen me has seen the Father. So if a sacrament is a visible sign of an invisible reality, then we say that Jesus himself is a sacrament and then that everything in his life, the, the whole mystery of his life, has, uh, has a, a sacramental character because it shows us visibly the, uh, the, the reality of the life of God and, 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 it, and thereby shows us reality about ourselves. Because, well, well Jesus, uh, like Ginger said, isn't just, isn't just God. He's fully God and fully man. So this, the, 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 our look, our watching of Jesus um, teaches us about us. So, for example, the Catechism says that in, in his incarnation, th- by becoming poor, he enriches our poverty. In his hidden life, his obedience or his submission atones for our disobedience. His word purifies its hearers. His healing and exorcisms take on our infirmities and bear our diseases. His resurrection justifies us. And we see that even in his hidden life, even when Jesus spent, most, what, what did Jesus spend most of his time doing? He spent most. He spent most of his time like working with his hands as a carpenter in Nazareth, and he read the scriptures and he prayed and he prayed. He took specific times of prayer because because Jews were required to do that as we Christians are. That's what you do. Right? And Jesus followed the law and he took specific times of prayer. But he also um, prayed throughout his time of of work in the shop with Joseph, and then after Joseph passed away, himself, maybe with others. So the point is that there is no aspect of your life or of mine that cannot be united with Christ, that cannot help us to be holy, to become saints. But we do our duty well, whether it's... washing the clothes and, and cleaning the house as a, ho- as a homemaker, whether it's uh, teaching or whether it's being a, a mechanic or a trash person or a, doc- a doctor, a lawyer, or a priest, or, or whatever job you, you, you have. If you're a priest, whether you're a pastor or a parochial vicar or, or a professor or this or that, whatever job you have, like you just, just do it for the glory of God. Mm. That's it. And uh, Father Walter Chizek, in his book, He Leadeth Me, has this really beautiful chapter on work. Um, and if you don't know about Father Walter, he was um, sent as a missionary into, um, into I think it was Poland first, and he crossed over into Russia. And so. was, um, he was found out, um, and he was taken to the Russian concentration camps where he lived a great deal of the rest of his life um, before he was finally um, released. And he has a beautiful chapter on work because, you know, as, when he was in the concentration camps, he was made to do physical labor, made to do manual labor, and he at first had this feeling, Lord, I'm not doing what you sent me here to do. I'm not serving the people in the way that I thought I was going to serve them for you. And what he found was that as he continued that labor, as he continued to labor alongside his brothers in in the camps, um, he realized 
how similar it was to the hidden life of Christ. Because, you know, that that wasn't, Christ's hidden life is not separate from his public life. All of it was a manifestation of the Father's work. Um, when he says to Mary and Joseph when they find him in the temple, did you not know I would be about my Father's work? He can say that line every day for the rest of his life, including in those hidden years. So like Father Bryce is saying, those moments when we feel like, am I really doing what God is asking me to do? If you are doing it for the full glorification of God, then the answer is always yes. Each aspect of the life of Christ reveals to us something then about our life. So let's walk, walk through them. Last time or so, we talked about his birth, the, well, the mystery of his conception and his birth. And later, but probably next time, we're going to begin to talk about his passion and his death. But what about everything in between that? And, 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 or in between those two, we should say. And this is really cool. If we want to walk through the mysteries of Christ's life, if we want Christ to reveal God himself to us and then to reveal us to ourselves by revealing to us authentic humanity, we just have to come to the liturgy. Oh, we begin in, in Advent. And what are we doing in Advent? We are preparing for his coming. And we see, we remember, especially as we read the book of the prophet Isaiah, that God had prepared for centuries. My spiritual director likes to talk about how the Holy Spirit is uh, conspiring to love me. And God conspired with the prophet Isaiah. God conspired with, uh, with David, with Hezekiah. God dis- conspired with the, uh, the pagan king Cyrus of Persia. God conspired with the Roman government, a lot of which at many times was wicked. God conspired to bring about our salvation. And so in the season of Advent, we're, we're watching we're looking back at all these preparations, and which were summarized in John the Baptist, or maybe not summarized, but maybe given fullest expression in John the Baptist, and which we enter into each each Advent. Immediately after uh, after Advent on the on the eighth day, on the, so on January on January first, when we celebrate the solemnity of Mary, mother of God, we also celebrate the circumcision of Jesus by which he entered into the people of the covenant. He entered into the family of Abraham. And he he took, so to speak, or it is shown forth. uh, Let's say it that way. It is shown forth in his circumcision that he is the fulfillment of the promises that God made to Abraham. One of which is that in Abraham, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And so then a couple days later on the 12th day of Christmas, that's why there's 12 days of Christmas, because there's 12 days between December 25th, Christmas, and January 6th, 
which is which is the epiphany. That's why if you're in Louisiana, you start eating king cake <laughs> on January 6th, on 12th night, because of the 12th night after Christmas is the day when we celebrate when the three kings, our magi, our wise men, came to meet Jesus. So that's why there's 12th night, and that's why there's king cake with the baby in it, because the kings found the baby. They found him like two years later, but we celebrate. We can't wait two years to celebrate <laughs> this mystery. We do it in the liturgical cycle. And so we wait those 12 days, and they show... That the blessing of of promise to Abraham in Jesus Christ goes out to the whole world. Because they're they're not Jews. They're Gentiles. They're goyim. They're not part of the the, uh, first parts of the promise. But they're part of the completion. The perfection of the promise. Then Jesus is presented to the temple where he shows that he's the firstborn son who belongs completely to the Lord. And he shows us that as Christians reborn in baptism, we are to belong completely to the Lord. Then Herod comes along and wants to kill Jesus. And so they have to fly into Egypt. And Herod massacres all these little babies, the holy innocents, who are baptized in the blood of their martyrdom, who died for Christ and got to, to go straight up to heaven. And this mystery manifests the opposition of darkness to light. That darkness is, well, it's dark, it's evil, it's wicked, yet light prevails. Through Herod's evil, these, these little babies were baptized in their blood and went straight to heaven and are with Jesus now forever. That God always brings greater good out of any evil. And that's pretty much the last thing that we hear from, um, besides the um, finding in the temple of Jesus' private life, of the hit, what we call the hidden years. And really what, um, I think it was what, John, John Paul II, or no, um, sorry, uh, Paul VI, tells us in the catechism that the um, piece that they've taken from him is really that it's okay that we don't know exactly what happened in the hidden years not to say that it's not um a worthy meditation to meditate on those years and think about the lord and his and his mother and his father his earthly father um in those times in those moments um but really what we learn from that entire time period is that the movement of god the movement of the father is kind of in sync with our own growth is in sync with the growth of of Christ in his from his childhood to adulthood it's that understanding of the life of the family the importance and the beauty and um uh the the just overall wonder that is day-to-day life wonder that is work itself um because that's what that's what life is. Our lives as human persons are, how do I more deeply enter into the things of God? And that's what Jesus is spending his time doing. And sometimes it might be like, well, but I want to know. I want it like that curiosity can catch us. And that's okay. But we want our takeaway should always be that these hidden years, just as a whole, teach us about what it is to be a day-to-day Christian, not necessarily a martyr like the holy innocents were martyrs in that moment of, you know, 
that that great uh, moment of war, you know, like those big moments that we think of in life, but it's the day-to-day, almost like minute details or mundane details of our lives that help us to become Christians who stand up for the faith with gusto, with that kind of, that, that courage um, that people like St. Joan of Arc had. Um, because she lived it day by day by day. So whatever we do, whether in word or in deed, do it all for the glory of God. We, we are with Jesus no matter, no matter where we are. And so, um, so let Jesus be with you. Quite soon after the Epiphany, we celebrate in the liturgical year the baptism of the Lord, where Jesus, the Catechism says, accepts and inaugurates his mission as God's suffering servant, as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and then goes off into the desert to rebuff the attacks of Satan to heal or to begin to heal the the sin the wound of sin given to us by Adam our first father in conspiring with Eve not for our good like the Lord conspires but for but for our ill as they chose not God we talked about this a week or two or three ago the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life and when Jesus goes out into the desert for 40 days what well we so every year we go out into the desert with Jesus for 40 for 40 days as we enter into Lent entering into this mystery of Jesus in the desert. And we'll talk about the passion of Jesus. We'll talk about Holy Week and then the most important season of the year, the sacred Paschal Triduum, Holy Thursday and Good Friday and Easter Sunday uh, later. But between, or rather, yes, between Jesus' going into the wilderness and then finding himself at the cross, there's three years or so of him preaching and healing and teaching the kingdom of God is at hand. And so we walk through these mysteries as we simply read through the Bible at Mass and pray during ordinary time. And that's what ordinary time is for. Walking through the mysteries of the the, the day-to-day of the Christian as we simply count the days. That's what ordinary means. It means counted or ordered or set in order. And we count the days and and come into uh, deeper communion with Jesus. And this is also seen in the mysteries of the rosary. So the sorrowful mysteries are help us to be with Mary. Mary who teaches us how to meditate on the mysteries of Lent and of Holy Week. And the joyful mysteries help us to be with Mary who teaches us how to meditate on on the mysteries of Advent and Christmas and the glorious mysteries are to be with Mary as she teaches us how to meditate upon the mystery of Easter and the Ascension and Pentecost and and of heaven, the glory of heaven, like in the book of Revelation. And then the, the luminous mysteries with St. John Paul II added, they teach us how to meditate upon this, this ordered time, this day-to-day in the life, this public ministry of the Lord. So the rosary like supports 
our praying of the liturgy. When we pray the rosary in private devotion, it flows from the, the reality, the history of the life of Christ, and it flows from our celebrations when we come together as church in liturgy. And then it goes back to, because the more we meditate, the more we allow the Blessed Mother to teach us and to take us into this mystery, then the more we have to take in and to offer when we come to Mass or we come to the Divine Office and are a bit better able to enter into that to that liturgical mystery. That's really beautiful. Um, and yeah, speaking of the kingdom of God, the, the next few sections of this part of the catechism are really geared towards Christ's proclamation of the kingdom of God, how he is um, to bring them to the kingdom of God. And I feel like this is one of those things that today we as Catholics um knowing about this and keeping the kingdom of God in our minds all the time or as much as possible, like growing in the virtue of keeping this at the forefront of our thoughts um, is something that's going to be really helpful for all of us because um, the catechism says like the first word in this section is everyone because everyone is called to enter the kingdom. Christ does not come only for the Jews. He does not come only for one particular group of people. Um, the children of Israel are the first it is announced to, but it was always meant to also be something that the Gentiles were called to as well. Because remember, we're talking about, when we were talking about the Magi, talking about how all nations are called to recognize who Christ is, to recognize who Jesus is um, in his being the Son of God. And... Um, you know, it's really, this is kind of an interesting section because there's a lot of aspects that I feel like, I don't know, I guess maybe it's just me personally, but like that I really want to pray with um, when I see it, you know, talking, when it talks about how Jesus invited sinners to sit with him at table, to sup with him, you know, that really was upsetting to the Pharisees, um, but it was something that was necessary because Christ comes to the poor, he comes to the lowly, he comes to the ostracized, but he doesn't leave them there. That's the that's one of the most important things, I think, that we we see those who are outsiders, we see those who are sinners, but we don't conform to their sin. We pull we by having the light of Christ in our own hearts, pull them out of their sin. We call them to a higher calling. Um, by being the Christians that we're called to be um, in their lives. And that's exactly what Christ does. When, when Christ leaves them, they're no longer sinners. They're no longer prostitutes. They are no longer these people who, um, who have no purpose, who have no um, direction in their lives. He, by being with them and by being authentically who he is, changes them entirely from sinners to those who are saved um and you know we see that too with so many saints down the line paul goes from being a murderer um a, a murderer who thinks he's in the right to this humble servant of god uh who's written more than half of the new testament almost all of the new testament um people like saint augustine who was a, a drunkard, a layabout, and um, a, a fornicator becomes one of the most prolific writers of the um, 
of the patristic period in our church. So just seeing what we're capable of, Christ pulls us out of the depths of our own sin if we allow him to. If we allow him into our midst, if we, so to speak, give him a seat at the table of sinners, they're not going to be sinners anymore by the time that he's done with them or with us. Jeannie told me the other day that you should invite everybody to read along in the catechism. And, and I think this is a great time to do that because this is really good material for your meditation, right? like, like you just said. So read along. We're at, at, at paragraph 512, um, 570, but you don't have to remember where it ends, just where it starts. Paragraph 512 in your catechism, and, and just, just open it up. And when something strikes you, just sit with it for a little while. And uh, be quiet with the Lord. And maybe you want to take out your Bible and flip open to where the Bible talks about whatever mystery that you're meditating upon. And allow yourself to have an encounter, an encounter with Jesus. Uh, one priest I know says a, says a lot. He says there's a difference between a meeting and an encounter. And uh, a meeting is, well, it's the meeting. And an encounter, well, with an encounter, you leave that changed. And so let's take some time. I encourage you to just take some time. Paragraph 5, 12, and, and forward in the catechism. And let the Lord speak to your heart. Let the Lord speak to your soul. Let's, let's let the Lord change our lives, transform our ordinary altogether. Look forward to seeing you next time. God bless you.